above all names. For at the mention of his name, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. He is above all, he is in all, and he is through all, and he is ours. Put your hand on your chest today and say, Jesus is mine. That means that when you need him, he's there. When you call him, he's there. When you're weeping, he's there. When you're crying, he's there. And even when all you can get out is a whisper, guess what? He's there. Amen. Do me a favor. I'm going to pray to transition us from this moment of worship to a time of word. And I'm going to ask him to do something in this room corporately for all of us. But I'm going to ask that while I pray, you pray. Because I don't want to be the only one in the room that prays. Amen. I want to be a part of a symphony of prayer. So as I'm praying for us, would you pray for you in this moment? Would you speak to the Jesus who's always there, who's always present, who's never left you nor forsaken you? And and I'm asking that when I pray, you pray. Pray for your neighbor on your right and on your left and pray for you right now. Heavenly Father, we stand together in unity in this moment right now, the fellowship of the believers. God, I'm asking that right now as we stand in reverence and boldly before the throne of grace, God, I ask that you show up mightily. Jesus, have your way in this place. Holy Spirit, show up mightily in us and through us today. God, we give you complete authority, complete power. We surrender. In Jesus' name, we pray. Everybody that agreed said amen and amen. Do me a favor and give the Lord a hand clap of praise this morning. Tell him you love him. And then while you're doing that, just do me one more favor and and, and help me thank God for this worship team and Pastor Ty. And you may not know, but we kind of spread all the way out. You don't even see Daniel. Daniel's over there laying down the baseline. It it only took us a couple months to figure out how to get this room right, but we got it. Only a couple months. Do me a favor. Have a seat. High five your neighbor. Hug them on the neck. It it, it is not a room made for live music. No, it's not. No, it's not. This room is not made for live music. And and so that's why we picked it, I guess. Um, It it took a a really strong team to work hard to get us to a place where we're finally feeling like we're at home. And I'm glad that... um, I'm glad that we're there. I'm glad that you're here today. What an awesome opportunity it is, it is for us to be, to be a congregation of people following the way, trusting in the Lord, and gathering in unlikely places in a city that has turned its back on Jesus, and yet here we are shining our light in the darkness. Amen? It's good to be a part of the fellowship. Amen? I want to second a couple things that have come up in the announcements today. First, I, I, just, I just wanted to say thanks to, to Shay for, for telling us about all the good news today. And, and I, I, I rarely hear an offering prayer that makes me cry, and then there I was crying. Um, she had so much to share with us today, and I want to echo a, a couple of those things. Um, in your hearing today, small groups, they're the lifeblood of any believer. You've heard it said, small groups are the best part of church. And you've said, sure, great, whatever. You don't go. Um, Personal, one-on-one, small group discipleship is how you grow. Let me me just say it again, because I can't even overstate it. Coming to church on Sunday is not enough. Being a part of a of a family, amongst people with whom you can be honest and authentic, that is where what I preach on Sunday goes in your hearing, renews your mind, and transforms your life because that's where you can apply it. Amen? 
So small groups launch next month. They coincide with our teaching through the epistle in Philippians. We're going to have a workbook like we do every year, and we've got small groups all over the city. And if you're like me and it, you know, looks, I mean, you know, sometimes I just like to be alone. How many people love when plans are canceled? Amen. Is that you? I'm, I love that. Oh, we're not going to do it. Oh, man. If you're like me and you like to stay home, this is why you should be in a small group. Challenge yourself, step out, find your community. They're all over the city. You can register in the app, and I want to challenge you to register in the app today. They're going to go forever. This is how you grow. Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay. All right. All right. A couple more things for you. I had an awesome awesome start to this year. We launched a men's ministry two weeks ago. Um, Help me thank God for men's ministry. Launched a brand new men's ministry called Ash. We took uh, about 30 men up to the mountain. We we pushed each other. We were hard on each other. And and the Lord moved in a mighty, mighty way. And you're going to start seeing some of the men who you see at church look different. Amen. Act different. Amen. Call you out on your sin. Oh, come on. Yes, sir. Uh Uh-huh. But also love you and embrace you. And I want you to know that's because 30 men from this church decided from this day forward, I will be ash. I will be consumed by the Lord so God can get his beauty through me. Amen. And then just this last Friday, we had Hearthstone's very first big event of the year. Hearthstone is our women's ministry. And I, I, I snuck in to the, to the meeting and stole the micro. No, I was offered. I was given the opportunity to to share a word for the women this year. Their theme for for the entire ministry that they're leading this year is propel. Everything that they're doing is gearing towards propelling women from where they were to where God's called them to be. And 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 I and I shared a word with them that um, I, I was just I. I, I was moved by the word when the Lord and I began to work on it. The title of the message was Sing, O Barren One. It's a, a word from the Lord through the prophet Isaiah, and he speaks right to those of us who feel unfulfilled or unpromised or betrayed or like things have just not worked out. And he says, I see you. Do you see me? Sing. And it was a powerful time. Ladies, if you have not attended a Hearthstone event, one of the things I shared with them is it is awesome. It's awesome. I really love being a part of a small church because because in our ministries, men's ministry, women's ministries, there is no potential to just be a number. In each one of these gatherings, Hearthstone on Friday night, every one of these women, it was like family. And I don't know, you know, you do a men's ministry and you ask the guys to gather in prayer and about a minute and 12 seconds later, they're done. Hands are in their pocket and they're like, go ahead, Pastor, you can, you can take us into the next movement. But you ask women to pray and I mean, they were in it, cry. it was awesome. And I want to challenge you ladies, if you've never been to a Hearthstone event, get plugged in, make sure that you're connected to all of that. Amen? Amen. All right, do you have your Bible? Say yeah. You have a paper Bible saying, I'm saved. (laughs) Yeah, I'm old school. I am going to heaven. If you have your Bible, open it up to Ephesians chapter 1. Today we're going to continue our series called Home, God's Principle of Adoption. It is 
It is a four-week series where we go through the Bible trying to understand God's desire to adopt us into his family. And it coincides with the launch of our second ministry, our missional ministry, which is also called Home. It is our foster and adopt ministry. We are working partner uh, side-by-side with Project 127, a Denver-based organization that helps Christian families get trained and certified so that they can foster kids and adopt children, and we believe that our church, over the life of our church, will permanently adopt 100 children into the Beacon family. And I've been pushing many of you all this week, this month, to consider that perhaps the Lord is placing that on your heart. Today we're going to do part three in this series, and it comes from Ephesians chapter one. And I'm going to read just verses three through six. Then we're going to jump all over the Bible. Ephesians 1, 3, it reads like this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. The title of our message, our time, our talk today is an invitation to the family. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. And we thank you that you have a desire to invite us in. No longer left outside, no longer outcast, but invited. Father, today I ask that you'd open this word and along with it our hearts and our minds that we might receive your invitation with great and grateful hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. The first message in this series, we, we, we talked about true religion. We read from the epistle uh, of James, Jesus' half-brother, and we, we talked about uh, his instructions for good true religion. He says the kind of religion that is pure and undefiled. What James writes in that epistle in the, in the first chapter is essentially, you know this faith thing that you hold dear? You know his famous quote, faith without works is dead. He says, if you really want to bring some life to the faith that you hold, here's how you put that into work, into practice. Here's how you walk out this religion. Amen. And he says the way in which to do it is like this. And we talked about making sure that our, our tongue aligned with our walk. What we said and what we did was the same. We talked about keeping ourselves unstained from the world. These were matters of personal holiness. But James also put a missional point on the conversation and said, not just here, but also here. He said, true religion is also caring, specifically for orphans and widows. And the conversation was, if you really want to walk out your faith, walk alongside those who are vulnerable and in need. Last week, we talked about the heart of the Father. I shared with you, it's great to know what to do, but if we don't know for whom we do it or why we do it, then really what you're doing is just practicing religion, right? And I know that you don't want to be religious. I know that you want to have a relationship. So we talked about the heart of the Father, who he cares for why he cares for us, and, and how he does it. And today, we're going to talk about specifically that how. 
we're going to talk about Jesus. The, the big idea today could be this. The, the, the mission, God's mission of adoption is accomplished through an invitation to intimacy. Oh, don't you love how pastors just always have all this alliteration, right? God's mission for adoption is accomplished through an invitation to intimacy. His, his desire to adopt you only happens when we get intimate. I might just give you the big ending statement, which is this. You can, you can be on the Father's mind, and you can have the Father on your mind. You can even be blessed by God. You can even be here week in and week out. But if Jesus isn't here, if the Holy Spirit isn't here, then you're not adopted. You're on the outside. Adoption happens when we receive the invitation and we RSVP, I'm coming home. So I, I open this text for you for in Ephesians because I think it, it points out the three main things we're going to talk about today. Number one, God chooses through his son. Number two, God blesses through his son, Jesus. And number three, God adopts us through his son. So first, let's do this. Verse Let's talk about it in verse 4. It says, Even as God chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. The first thing you need to understand is that, ready? You are chosen. And I need you. I shared this with our men at the beginning of this year. I need you to know that. Because it matters. Let me break it down for you like this. You didn't choose God. Did you know that? Did you know you didn't wake up one morning and go, all right, now I'll be a Christian. I've weighed all the facts. I joke about this all the time. I've done all the research, and now I've decided in my infinite wisdom that it's he who I will choose to be in my life. No, thank God, right? Because I don't know if you're like me, but for many years in my life, I had a bad picker. I was not good at choices. Amen? <laughs> Give me two. I always made the wrong one. No, the beauty of this gospel, our gospel, is that you don't choose him. He chooses you. And today as we talk through these three things, the choosing, the blessing, and the adoption of God through Jesus to us, we're going to walk through the life of one of those he chose. We're going to look at, well, maybe the one who's like most like a son. We're going to look at the life of John. I want to show you something in Mark. Mark chapter 1, verses 16 through 20. You don't have to go there. I'll just read it for you. It says, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, and they were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and they followed him. Then going on a little, a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending their nets. And immediately he called to them, and they left their father in the boat with the hired servants, and they followed him. This is the story of the way in which Jesus chooses us. And yes, it's just the choosing of his disciples, but it is a perfect model for the way in which he also chooses you. I want you to see this. Jesus is walking near the Sea of Galilee, 
the region of Galilee is a, how do I put this in today's world? It's a blue collar, poor reputation, rough around the edges, not high class. No one in this community is an influencer. Amen? They don't have the right anything. And this is where Jesus chooses to choose. This is one of my most favorite parts about the gospel is that Jesus decides, okay, now it's time for me to change the whole world. I'm going to gather some people with me who with me will change the world, and I'm going to start in the most unlikely of places. Gosh, that speaks to my inner underdog. Amen? I mean, if you have a little underdog in you, you're like, okay, yes. In the playoff bracket, he's picking the eighth seed, not the number one seed. I can get down with this. The people with a barely 500 record. That's the people that Jesus chooses. I want you to understand that he starts, check this out, first and foremost, he starts this journey in Galilee, close to home, close to Nazareth. And he walks and looks for the common, the overlooked, the discounted, the outcast. That's, that's who he looks for. Now, here's the thing. I want you to read the text because it's not like he was wandering through the market and randomly picked and stumbled upon a fisherman. No, he's only choosing from amongst the fishermen. He goes to the place where all of the outcasts are congregated and he goes, oh yeah, this is perfect. First Corinthians Chapter 1, verses 27, the Apostle Paul puts it like this. He chooses the foolish to confound the wise. He, he chooses the weak to confound the strong. Another translation, actually our translation, says he chooses the foolish to shame the wise. Oh. Do you ever, ever once in a while just feel like you want to get revenge when somebody does something to you? Yeah, am I talking to the right church? Has anybody ever been wronged and you in the shower the next morning have rehearsed your lines so you can put them in their place? You ever put somebody in their place after an argument with them, but they're not in the room then? You ever win that argument? Man, you're so good. You're like, and then this is it. Bible says that Jesus, the Father through Jesus, chooses the losers to put to shame the world's winners. He says, do you feel beaten up? Have you made some mistakes? Have you fallen down? Perfect. You're mine. Let's go. Boy, I hope that speaks to you if you feel like you don't have it all together. I hope I'm talking to some of those who have maybe, maybe some regret, maybe some pain, maybe mistakes. He chooses the common and the overlooked, and then the best part about it is that when he, when he chooses them, he chooses them from to. It says he walks amongst the fishermen, and he says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So much we could do. I could preach on this forever. It's so awesome. Here's what he does. He says, I see you where you are, and I call you to greater. Yeah. Make no mistake, 
the gospel is always calling you from where you are, whether it be stuck or even comfortable, to a place that's far more that you could ever ask, think, or imagine. He says, I see in you what you don't yet see in you. So follow me and I will get you there. Understand that he's always calling you to greater. Now, whenever you do something bigger than yourself, it will get very uncomfortable. Amen? And I think it's so sweet that Jesus is so sweet to them. He says, hey, guys. And they're just like, hey, rabbi. And he's like, come follow me, and I'll make you fisher. And they're like, oh, okay. <laughs> and he's like, of men. He tries to put it in a language that they can understand, but he's calling them to a place that they've never been, to do a mission that they've never even understood before. These are not learned men, and yet he is soon to propel them to be the greatest rabbis and teachers of the most glorious message ever heard. He's going to call you from where you are to a place you don't even understand, to do a thing you can't even imagine. Amen? Now, check this. I want you to see something really, really, really cool here. We're going to talk about John today. We're going to talk about Jesus' relationship with John. We've just seen that Jesus has called Peter and Andrew and James and John. And the reason we're going to talk about John is because this story is about adoption, the way in which God reaches in and pulls those into the family. The thing you need to understand about John is he's not just a fisherman. He's not just a Galilean. He's not just unlearned. He's also a boy. Most manuscripts tell us that John was somewhere between 13 and 16. We've come to understand he was probably 15 years old. And so when Jesus is looking for the men to change the world, he looks for a boy. A young man. There is no reason he should choose this boy. Nothing. And, and that's good because Jesus doesn't choose us on our merit. He chooses us on his mercy. And you should know that and you should be able to tell yourself that every single day. He didn't pick me for me. Amen? He didn't pick me because I'm handsome or pretty or skilled. He didn't pick me because I'm well-spoken. He didn't pick you because of all of the good things the world thinks about you. He picked you because what he has for you has nothing to do with this world. Amen. I hope that, I hope that resonates with you today. When I was sharing with our men at the, the men's advance, we call it an advance, never a retreat. <clears throat> anyway. Um, <laughs> I made sure that all the men knew that, that they're chosen. I asked them all, put your hand on your chest. Remember this? He sees me. He chooses me. And then I had him say this sentence over and over again. And I would encourage you to maybe even hold on to something there. I, I said, fellas, say this out loud. He sees me. They all go, he sees me. And I said, now say this out loud. He chooses me. He chooses me. And then I said, now, now tell yourself, I'm God's man. And I wanted to remind these men that he, 
He sees you in the midst of your common and overlooked state, but he calls you to a mission that's far greater than you can imagine, and he chooses you for the mission so that each one of these men would understand that their families, God picked them to lead their families. You didn't stumble into the family that you're in. Friends, did you know this, that Jesus, if he's called you and chosen you, he didn't accidentally discover that you'd work where you worked. He picked you for that work. Did you know that? You know that person at your job that drives you crazy? Ready? Here it goes. He chose you for them. We never get many claps on that, do we? Oh, no, not Susan in accounting. Absolutely not. (laughs) Susan can fend for herself. No, he picked you to be his ambassador to her, to him. That's why as a leader in our church, and I want you to understand a little bit about my philosophy for leadership, which is this. I try to give everyone who's on our staff and a volunteer leader a great deal of authority and autonomy. I want you to do what you do and do it well. And if you make mistakes, that's on me. But we'll grow together, right? And I'm going to give you as much grace as possible. And there are seasons when this church... And the people in our church, we don't always work well together. Don't you, wouldn't it be fantastic if like you got saved and then everybody was perfectly in harmony? You're not even in harmony with the people sitting right next to you. In our church, often there's friction. And I have people in our church, I even have, uh, you know, like, peers and companions in the, and they run their own churches. And we talk about how, you know, how do you deal with conflict in your church, especially amongst leaders. And I have one friend and he's like, I call them both into room and I lay it straight and they can leave if they don't handle it. And I'm like, what? I would never go to your church. You sound mean. I've discovered that my philosophy in this is this. We are called to each other. I'm called to you. And you may not know this, but you're called to me. I need you. Just because I need you doesn't mean that you need to be perfect. I expect in the body of believers, especially Beacon, a place where we say we are built with broken pieces, I expect us to be broken and to mess up and to fail each other and to bump heads and to have some friction. I expect that. I also expect us to continue to love each other. Right? So when I tell the men, put your hand on your chest and say, I'm seen and I'm chosen and I'm God's man. It's true of every person in this church. I am called to you, especially when you drive me crazy. Why? Because that weakness may be something I'm called to help by the power of the Holy Spirit. Right? So when someone in our church is like, Pastor, you got to do something about them. And I'm like, you do something about them. You're called to them. You love them. I love them. Let's love each other. All right, you hear me. Let's keep going. So, number one, God chooses us through his son, Jesus. Amen? He sees you, and he uses Jesus to find you. Jesus picked you. Number two, you need to understand this. The father blesses through his son. I want to show you a couple other scriptures, see if I have them saved still. Mark chapter 3, verse 17. Verse 13 reads like this. He went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired. Mm. He chooses. 
And they came to him, and he, that's Jesus, appointed the twelve, whom he also named apostles. He gave them all a new identity. And so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons, he appointed these twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. It means the rock. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his 15 little brother, to whom he gave the name the sons of thunder. Yes. I love the Bible. We've talked about Simon's name being changed to Peter. I mean, come on, right? You start a a new religion and ask me to join, and you tell me my nickname is the rock. I'm in, all the way in. But we haven't talked about James and John yet. Naturally, they're the sons of Zebedee, but spiritually, Jesus says, you're actually going to be part of my inner circle. Peter, the loud mouth that can't always get it right, he's in the inner circle. He's called the rock. And you two boys, especially you, little man, you'll be called the sons of thunder. Now, I have two sons, two teenage boys. And there is nothing more awesome than to hear them giggle with each other upstairs in the loft in our house. And I don't know if it's always appropriate, but I will tell you (laughs) that I love to hear them with their inside jokes and their nudges and their giggles. And I, in my sanctified imagination, when I think of Jesus calling these two boys the sons of thunder, I see in my own mind these two boys going, thunder, yeah, just like, this what we're talking about, yeah. Besides, your name James is lame, man. Now we're the Thunder Bros. I'll bet you they pretended they were like Thor, right? Just so excited to serve Jesus. And it's, it's cute. But it's invaluable that we understand that part of the blessing of Jesus, beyond material, Beyond the supernatural, the fruits of the Spirit and all those things of which we'll talk, perhaps the most important thing that we must understand is that the Father, after choosing you, desires to bless you through the Son. And the best way he can do it is to change who you are. He gives them a new name. He gives the whole group a new name. He says, from now on, you 12 rats, miscreants, goofballs, outcasts, you will now be called the apostles. They're like, apostles? I can't even read. Don't worry. You will be the foundation upon which this thing is built. You'll be the rock. You'll be the thunder. And each one of them is discovering that for some reason, this Jesus sees me better than I see myself. It's true Jesus blesses you, amen? It's in Jesus that we find joy, joy that comes in the morning. It's true that in Jesus we can find peace that surpasses all understanding. It's true that Jesus is a healer. It's true that he's a deliverer. It's true that he's a redeemer. It is true that in Jesus you can find all of the fruits of the Spirit. He's the source of it. Gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, and peace, and patience, and love. It's Jesus who does these things. But he won't do these things if you're old you trying to grasp these things. So the first thing he does when he blesses you is he gives you a new name. Revelation chapter 2 verses 17. He says, 
For those whom I choose, I bless, and I give for them some of the hidden manna, that bread of life that is only reserved for the family of God. For them, I give a white tomb, a place, a white stone to rest their head, and for them, I give them a new name. The gospel is all about newness. Ever green change is what the gospel is about. It means that as you, as you walk this road, if you really walk this road, you won't, you can't be the same. Who you are today can't be who you are in a year from now if you walk with Jesus because he's all about making you new. He says, behold, I make all things new. His desire is for change. In Isaiah, he says, I do a new thing. Did you not perceive it? If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, all things are new. The best blessing that you and I can receive from Jesus is new. New thinking New feeling, new patterns of behavior. Ask any one of us who's been in recovery, man, whatever I can do not to be old me, I'm in. Right? Ask anyone who's grown to understand that their initial reaction and emotional outburst, their initial patterns of behavior from their family of origin, the ways in which we deal with one another hasn't served them well. There is a beautiful thing that happens in our relationship with God, and yes, also through counseling, that when you get into an argument with someone you love, you don't fly off the handle. You say, can we sit and listen? And you're just as surprised you said that as they are. Amen. They're like, you're a fool. And you're like, I hear what you're saying. And I affirm it. <laughs> and you walk out of the room and you're like, come on, Jesus, look at me. And then you go to the shower and win the argument, right? And then I said, the beauty of Jesus is that he blesses you, blesses you with a new nature, blesses you with a new name. He changes your identity. Oh, but I also want you to see this in John 17. This is an ongoing work of Jesus, our Christ. In the high priestly prayer, as Jesus prays to the Father, he intercedes for us. Verse 9, he says, and Father, I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world. Let's hear it. He, Jesus, out loud, to the Father, he says, Father, I'm praying for those who you've chosen through me. I am not praying for the world. For God so loved the world that he came and gave his only son. But when Jesus got here, Jesus' whole attention was fixed on us. And as an ongoing act of giving us new identity, new life, a heart of flesh, a new way of thinking, renewed mind, transformed life, he says, I'm praying for them, not for the world, but only for those whom you have given me. For if they're yours, then they're mine, and that's who I care about. You should understand that our Jesus 
is an intercessory prayer warrior for you, and that's a blessing. Did you know that there is a day when he stands before the Father, and the Father says, who is this? And he says, come here, and he wraps his arm around you. Jesus wraps his arm around you, and he says, this one, she's ours. She's ours. She looks like us. She has our blood. She has our DNA. You made her brand new. She's fully regenerated, redeemed, and restored, and she is ours. The blessing is ongoing, and each and every day he makes you new just a little bit more. Amen? I hope that encourages you because a lot of us are working at it. Amen. Most of us get saved, and then sanctification takes forever. God. <laughs> Don't worry. Part of the blessing of Jesus is that he's actively engaged in that process with you. He says, I make you new, and I intercede for you. I make you new, I intercede for you. Your part is receiving the invitation. Amen. Amen. He chooses you. The Father chooses you through Jesus. Number two, he blesses you through Jesus. And number three, he adopts you through Jesus. I want you to see John. I'll read it. John 19. Verse 25 through 27, we preached this earlier in the year, but I think it stands to reason for this conversation between Jesus and John, the 15-year-old boy that he picked, whom he changed, is present at the end of Jesus' life and ministry. It says, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mom, because of course, and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother, these women, and then only John, the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his, his mother, woman, behold your son. And then he looked at John, who was probably 18, finally a man, and he said, John, Take my mom. Man, this gets me every time. Love my mom. Where I'm going, you can't go yet. Behold your mother. And in this moment, in the natural, he actually adopts John. In the natural, he welcomes John to the nuclear family of Jesus. And in the supernatural, he paints a picture for you and I. I want you to understand the importance of the scene. You see, John doesn't just care that he was chosen. John doesn't just care that his name was changed. John doesn't just care that he gets to be the sons of thunder or even that Jesus will be praying for him. What John cares about is intimacy with Jesus. That's the difference here. Where's Peter? He ain't there. Peter's far off. He's watching, but he's let his fear of the natural uncertainty of this moment propel him to a place of distance from Jesus. And John said, I don't really have any other options. You picked me when I was a boy. You called me when, when no one else called me. You changed my name and I believed you. 
and you stood before the Father and prayed for me, where else would I go? You have the words of life. You see, John understands that God's principle of adoption is accomplished through an invitation to intimacy. John understands if I want to be a son, hey, here it is, then I want to be a brother. If I want to be his, there it is. I have no idea. Is there things moving around me? I have no idea. I heard a rapper. I thought it was gum. I was like, I'm not chewing gum. Such a great team. Such a wonderful team. What a blessed team we have. Thank you guys so much. I have no idea where we are. Um, <laughs> John says this. I just, I just, I just want Jesus. I, I just want to be, I just want Jesus. I want all the other things, but he's the one that told me, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all of your righteousness, and, and then everything else will be added unto me. He, he's the one who, who told me everything I'd ever done. He's the one who explained to me that when word falls into good ground, it brings forth fruit. I've watched him heal and deliver and set free. I've watched him feed. I've watched him curse. I've watched him do anything. And I know that if I just have Jesus, then nothing is impossible. And the problem today is that most of us, we want to be adopted, but we want all of the benefits of adoption. We want all of the accoutrement that come with being a part of the family of which it says the father has the cattle on a thousand hills. We hear the cattle and we say, yes, take me to the inheritance. I want what comes out of it. And John says, I don't care what comes out of it. I want what he put into it his whole life. I want Jesus. And that's how God accomplishes adoption. He says, I will make you a part of the family. You will be sons and daughters forever. But I'm going to send your big brother to do it. Amen. I'm going to send Jesus to be there with you. And he will welcome you. Jesus himself says, whoever rejects me rejects the Father. Whoever denies me denies the Father. The invitation is that you become more than just chosen. The invitation is that you become more than just blessed. The invitation is that you become his. How might I just hammer this for you? It, it's this. Have you got goosebumps today during the service? Have you cried? Have you giggled? Have you thought, dude, this place is kind of cool? You know, for church. Have <laughs> you felt good? Great. But that doesn't adopt you into the family. Can I say this? All of the touchy-feely sparks and emotions that you might get from a moment in church or even a moment with God, that is not enough to make you a co-heir. You can't just be moved by your experience. Amen? You've got to be moved to a continual encounter with Jesus the Christ. And you've got to allow him to come in. Amen? The Holy Spirit has to be 
inside of you, given permission to change you from the inside out. It's not enough that you feel good. Let me show you one last passage of scripture. It's Galatians chapter four. I'm gonna read verses one through seven. Paul is writing about sons and heirs. And he says, I mean this, that the heir, like the heir of a fortune, the soon-to-be heir of an inheritance, the heir, as long as he's a child, is no different from a slave. Though he's the owner of everything, but he's under guard and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, and he's implying also when we were children of wrath, like he does in Ephesians, He says, we were children, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world, but, oh, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because your sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your heart, crying, Abba, Father. So, then you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir. Look, he wants you in the family. Like he wants you in the family. And he's chosen you, seen you, called you by name only to change that name and identity, only to stand before the Father and say, they haven't got it all together yet, but they're still ours and I'm working on them. But if you, if you don't, don't get the invitation to intimacy and show up, Well, then you're just as good as being a slave to your sin day in and day out. You might think you're an error. You might think soon you'll be his. But if he's not yours, then you're not his. Oh, if I could say that. If he's not here, if he's not intimate, if you're not yielding to the voice of the Holy Spirit, if your prayer life isn't such that you hear his voice and you submit, and when you're wrong, you admit that you're wrong and you change it and you repent, if that's not part of your faith, then it's not the right faith. If you're not on your knees saying, oh, wretched man that I am, please redeem me today, yesterday, forever. I need you now more than I ever needed you again. If that's not the intimacy that you walk out in your faith, you aren't walking out faith. You're playing faith, and it looks pretty, but it isn't real. And you show up, and you fake it to us. Oh, you fake it to us. But the Father is not fooled. And he says, well, I may have picked you. And I'm sure you received some blessings along the way. But, uh. You never received the invitation to intimacy. At least, you never replied. Here's how you know. Ready? If today, especially just now, 
you felt that conviction to do something different in your faith. And your response was, this is foolish. Then you're not responding to the invitation of faith. If today you got more frustrated than humbled, if you got more angry than anticipatory of what he might do in you, and you haven't accepted the invitation. The way that you know that you're saved is when the Lord speaks a hard thing, you say, this is a hard thing. Who can perceive it? I want it for me. That's true intimacy with Jesus that leads to true adoption by the Father. I want to open this time for prayer. That's you today, and you said, Pastor, man, if you're being honest, if that's what it really means, I haven't done this. I have no idea what it means. I've pretended, I fake it, I've read the Bible, I've praised and prayed, I go to a Christian college, everybody knows that I'm Christian, but if I'm really being honest, man, I'm just, I'm not like that, and I want that. Friend, if that's you, I want to tell you today, it is a never-ending journey with Jesus, and you won't be faithful, amen? Man, you're going to mess it up so bad, but he will not. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. He'll never fail you. He is good and faithful all the time. And his invitation is extended today. And he says, would you be mine? I am the door. I am the way. And if any man come to me and I walk him right to the Father, I'm not going to lead you in the prayer today. This should be your prayer today. Would you do me a favor and would you bow your head? Heavenly Father, some of us have heard you today and we love you, but we need you anew. We need to accept this invitation. Right here in our seat, we're gonna pray a prayer exactly as you want us to pray it. Might include something about submission or surrender. Maybe we just plain feel like we're gonna say, I quit. You take over. God, would you hear that cry in this room today? Would you hear that call or even that whisper? You can pray as long as you need to, and when we're done, we'll worship.